Welcome to the Companion Chapel Everyday Bible Study Podcast. My name is Mike, coming to you from the Great Lakes area of beautiful Ontario, Canada, on this gorgeous Saturday, November 20th day, 2021. Coming right up at 2 Samuel chapter 21. Don't you dare miss it. All anxieties and uncertainties stop where biblical literacy starts. This Companion Chapel Podcast makes the Bible easy for you to understand and enjoyable for you to follow along. First, please consider your part in the many-membered body of Christ. This is your church. Help glorify, magnify, and broadcast God's saving word. My part is creating this Bible teaching media. Your part consists of getting involved in the church administration with your time or money contributions, managing marketing, advertising, helping with the website, helping with this podcast, whatever God-given talent you have. God expects you to use it in the many-member body of Christ. Companion Chapel is a registered nonprofit ministry. This Bible teaching podcast is only possible with your donations. Give it up for God and your whole human family at companionchapel.com. How are you blessing others with the blessings God has given you? Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, or e-transfer to email address companionchapel at gmail.com. Companion Chapel is located at number 338. Side Road 28 slash 29, Paisley, Ontario, Canada. The postal code here is N0G2N0. And the phone number here is 509-706-8876. Now, please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And there's a good thing there to ask God what's going on. And you'll get to answers. And the Lord answered, It is for Saul, for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. Now when you inquire of the Lord, that means you're sitting there and you're taking inventory of your life, of your train of thought, and make sure that your heart is after the Lord and you're not following your own heart. And here we have what's happened. Saul, for his bloody house, for he slew the Gibeonites. Now we have to go back to Joshua chapter 9, chapter 9 for this. And here's a critical error, and here's how the enemy slips in. Joshua chapter 9, verse 2. They that gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done unto Jericho and I, they did willingly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took up old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent up and bound and shoes old shoes and clothed upon their feet old garments and and dry bread and what they were doing these are con artists and this is one of the key of david's here this is how the nethanim worked their way in to uh, the temple of the lord they worked their way in they made this deal here in Joshua chapter 9, these Gibeonites. And they ended up getting a deal that they could work for the temple of God. They would draw water. He would. They were workers. They were given to service. That's what Nethanim means. And we know that this huge thread that runs through the Bible, that will take us up to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when it says, Marvel not, for these are this synagogue of Satan. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers be transformed. That means disguised as ministers of righteousness. And this means they participate in the proximity of the pulpit. They're false apostles, deceitful workers. They're not teaching the Bible. These are the guys that use the Bible as a random book of quotes. And they stand up there in a long dress or in a backwards collar, and they just 
do not teach the Bible, and that's all there is to it. Christ said, feed the flock. Where's this thread? Just goes through the Bible like a clothesline. Amongst other places, Ezra chapter 8, verse 15, when Ezra's standing there, and, and he looks around and goes, hey, there's no Levitical priests here. All the way back to uh, Ezra chapter 8, when they were coming back out of Babylon, when they were coming out of confusion, that's right, these nethonyms, these given to service, these people, work their way up just subtly into getting themselves behind the pulpit. Ezra 8 chapter Ezra chapter 8 verse 15. And when he gathered everybody together at the river that runneth through Avii, and there abode we in tents three days, and I viewed the people and the priests, and found none of them the sons of Levi. Now go down to chapter 18 of the book of Numbers and read verse 1 to 7. Actually, there was strict rules back then. These, there was no Levitical priests. But back then in, in Numbers chapter 8, it specifically says it has to be Levitical priests coming up right up into the high priest who is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, our Lord Jesus Christ. What's being said here is deception has worked its way in to the church. That's Satan's greatest trick, is to make the whole world believe that he doesn't exist. And why wouldn't he... Of course, of course, Satan. Of course, the enemy is going to try and get behind the pulpit. Look at the Catholic Church today. Just absolutely destitute of truth. Just full of traditions. And these guys wearing long dresses that never teach the Bible. It's just ritual after ritual. Go to Matthew chapter 23 and read about what these people do. They just the whole chapter, our Lord Jesus Christ is saying, beware of these people that work their way into the church, that do not teach the Bible. They are void of truth. They are full of traditions of men that make void the word of God. There's so much said here in this Second Samuel chapter 21. And Saul went after these people, these Gibeonites, but the Gibeonites, they by trickery made a deal. And the deal was made, and they couldn't go back on that deal. And the deal was made that we that they wouldn't war against them in Judges chapter or Joshua chapter nine. But you guys would be working for us all the time. And that's what they do. They've worked their way into the churches all the way back to Joshua chapter 9 and even go back to the first great prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3 verse 15 or 16. I will put enmity between your seed Satan and the seed of the woman. That's hostile hatred. And always remember, in the book of Chronicles, in the book of Revel or in the book of Genesis, Cain is not listed as the posterity of Adam anywhere. Because he is that seed line of the serpent himself. And there's no way of getting around that. Where is his posterity now? Well, he's the tares. That's why Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, 44, he said, you are of your father the devil. And the parable of the tares. No, we're not supposed to wipe these people out. That's up to the angels. God wants it to play out the way he has it played out. God's plans, plots, and purposes are not to be questioned. This book, it's only 700 pages. It tells us all the evil in the world comes from the human heart. And it's perpetuated by a great accusation, or uh, by Satan himself, the accuser, or what else does his word mean? Satan means the, the accuser, 
or the adversary. It's a very descriptive word, the word Satan. I always remember the devil means the slanderer. So that's who the Gibeonites are. And Saul just went after him in his bloody rampage. Uh, probably, probably did this when he did, did the great massacre of the priests in that time period where he was totally losing it. When he killed, like, I forget how many priests. Something like over 40 priests he killed. And I'm not, I forget what chapter that was. was only a few chapters back when he went, when, when Joshua or when uh, Samuel went on that huge massacre. And that was actually 1 Samuel chapter 22. And only one priest was left. That was Amalek or Abathar escaped and fled with David. Uh, because all these active priests, this mass murder, this genocide. And if you want the number of them, go to 1 Samuel chapter 22. And it's just a terrible story. But uh, remember, Saul was out of control. So here we have it. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 21 to understand why this lesson is in here, who these Gibeonites are. Verse 2, And the king called, this king David called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites and the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. So they weren't of the children of Israel. These people were actually in Canaan, and what the Amorites means, they, were, they lived on the higher mountains, the higher mountainous region up on the hills, and there was a lower mountainous region, but they were in the land of Canaan, and that was Satan's big attack, trying to disrupt God's word again, when God promised Abraham the promised land, and when he came up over there with all the tribes of Israel, there was already people there. So, and these and the Raphium and Nephilim were there. Let's go to verse 3 now. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? So how can we reconcile this problem here? That Saul came after you guys and was going to you know, slaughter you guys. What can we do here? And the Gibeonites said unto him, we will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, Well, what do you want me to do for you then? And they answered the king, The man that consumed us, that devised against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel. I'm talking about Saul here, King Saul. Let seven of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give you the seven sons. Now this sounds bizarre that David would give up seven of Saul's sons. Now the Gibeonites want a compensation for what Saul did. And David agreed. And he's going to give up these seven uh, sons of Saul. Now we have to think about what was the custom of the times back then. What were these seven sons doing? Now, whenever there was a change of kingship from one family to another, the sons of the king always had to get slaughtered or get uh, taken out or executed because they could cause quite the uprising. And what were these seven princes doing? There were seven princes of Saul. They could have been troublemakers. Like nowhere in God's word does it say the sin of a parent that the child has to answer for the sin of a parent. 
unless they they have to change their ways. They have to repent. That's why in the Bible you might read, well, the sins, the the, the sons to the tenth generation are cursed from the parents of the heathen. Well, not unless they repent and change their ways. That's all that means. Ten means ordinal perfection. It's only as you change your ways. And there's a lot of bizarre theories out there from Bible teachers, even racist theories, which is just beyond all reasonables. Racism does not... There's no room for racism in the Bible. We are all part of the human family. What's being said here is David's like, okay, like these seven princes are troublemakers anyway. They could cause an... Like a... a I know, like a coup, or they could cause uprisings or just problems because they are the sons of Saul. So David says, you know what, I'll make a deal with you. You guys want compensation? I'll agree with you. Okay, you can have these seven sons of Saul who are supposed to be killed anyway. But uh, let's go verse 7. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So that was more his grandson. But again, in the Hebrew language, like your son is your granddaddy, your great-granddaddy. There's, I haven't seen a word for grandfather in the Bible. But, you know, if I could be corrected. But it's, that's why they're saying, it's mentioned here about Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. He was the grandson. But they always count it as the lineage, the posterity, as that's my son, that's my son. Your grandson is your son. It is your posterity. Verse 8, But the king took of the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, who she bare unto Saul, Armani and Mephibosheth, that's a different Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michel, or Merab, that was the eldest daughter of Saul, who she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzalia, the Mehathonite. Now, this is a different guy from chapter 19. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days in the beginning of the barley harvest. So it just gives us a date there, mid-April, verse 10. And Rizbah the daughter of Ai took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. This is a mother's love for her children. You know, it's extreme degradation to have a body not buried properly. And these Gibeonites... They were not of the children of Israel. They were just they were just imposters. They were disguised as ministers of righteousness. They get into the church and they just look for a cushy job. Yeah, they had to get water and cut some wood, but they're there to this day. There's nothing new under the sun. These are imposters, and you can tell because when they're up there behind the pulpit, they don't teach the Bible. Like, it's one book. It's meant to be taught chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's not a random book of quotes. And if you can't pick up the subject and object and message being conveyed by your father in this short, little 700-page book after you've been going to church for three months, six months, a couple years, then who are you listening to? You're listening to these people that have wormed their way in like parasites. And always remember... Satan comes in peacefully and prosperously, and so do all his followers. They just act so innocent. Like, what did I say? What did I do? 
we had really nice preachers and guys calling themselves reverends when I was a little kid and ministers and teach us the first verse of the Bible. But they're so nice. You know, they're just such nice people. They're peaceful and prosperous and they don't care about teaching the Bible. Or they would have taught me and my brother verse 1 and 2 of the Bible or the first chapter in the nine years we went to Sunday school. Like I'd bring my Bible and be like, yeah, you don't need that. Here's some crayons and here's some, we're going to talk about the ridiculous, most ridiculous things and never teach you anything. In fact, they taught us lies in, in Sunday school. They taught us Noah's Ark was, flood was the whole world. It's just ridiculous. They taught us that the earth is 6,000 years old. That's a lie. They taught us that Adam and Eve ate it. It was all about an apple in the garden. It made no sense. Jesus died for your sins, Michael. Jesus died for your sins. What's that even mean? They didn't explain anything to us. They told us the book of Revelation wasn't meant to be understood. They said the Bible, just coming right from the pulpit. Oh, there's many interpretations of the Bible. No, there's one interpretation. The Bible contains its own glossary. And when you read it, you'll see that the Bible explains itself. Jesus Christ came in the volume of the book. He's not the author of confusion as it's written. As it's written, man muddies up the waters. When you see the threads running through the Bible and it leads you through the glossary chapters for interpretation within the Bible, always translate within the Bible. And it just comes to, it's easy book. It says, it's written in the common pen. It's the greatest book ever written because it's the truth. And the truth is a great separating force between right and wrong, good and evil, and heaven and hell. This book will save your eternal soul. And you just have to get a working knowledge of this book. And don't listen to the people. That just sounds so sugar sweet. And we'll tell you, oh, don't worry about that. I was even told in Bible study, no, we don't teach about Satan. We don't know. We don't. We just teach about the love of Christ. Well, if your father loves you, Jesus Christ is our father. He is our God, our father, as it's written in the book of John. Wouldn't a loving father teach you who the enemy is? How are you supposed to know who the enemy is? The enemy will mop the floor with you spiritually, physically, socially, ethically, morally. Now, here we have what David did. Um, these seven guys, and David, David uh, uh, it was told David what Riz, Rizbah did, the mother that uh, she was there and making sure that there was no degradation of the bodies uh, for the birds. Uh, David, uh, in verse 12 here, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, which had stolen them from the streets of Beshan, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul and Gibeah. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. So there we have nine now. <coughs> Excuse me. And the bo nine souls, or nine bodies. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, buried in the country of Benjamin and Zila in the sepulcher of Kish's father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. God was acknowledged for the land. Okay, we've closed the book on Saul here. We have some dignity to the bodies. God put Saul in charge. And now let's acknowledge that what God has done and acknowledge that for the land. 
so the land can be fruitful again. 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. Why? Because he's like 60 years old, for one thing. And Ishibinab, which was the sons of the giant, and don't forget what the giant is, that's Rapha. That's the second influx of the Nephilim and Raphium. That's why in chapter 6 of the Great Book of Genesis, you see, when you see the words, and after that, after that flood, and after that, the Raphium and Nephilim, a second influx came. And science has proven this. There's no transitionary fossils in or out for these giant human beings that just showed up on the planet ready to rock and ready to cause problems. They didn't pass through the matrix born instant of woman. Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim and Raphium. These people were just morally, moral giants or physical giants and of huge moral debauchery and depravity and just moral repulsiveness. And God had to wipe out that particular area, their whole world down there. And that localized flood that was Noah's flood. Because Satan had these people slip through the back door. They're, they weren't born innocent of woman. They materialized on planet Earth. And science has proven it. Raphium and Nephilim. Look it up. You can Google it. There's tons of stuff on these giants on YouTube. And they're around again. And here's one of them. Ishi Binab, which was of the sons of the giant. The weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. That'd be like almost 10 pounds. He being girded with a new sword. He, 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 in his mind, he wanted to go after David. But Abashi, the son of Zariah. Here we are, these seasoned warriors. And Abashi would have been pretty, pretty old by now. Secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto, swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to the battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. That's a major verse there. The light of Israel. This is David, and through this seed line came our Lord Jesus Christ. The true light of Israel. Of the unique light givers of Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, 16. There's two unique light givers. And when you read that, uh, those verses in chapter 1 of the, of the first book of your Bible. The book of Genesis. God made two great lights. Now there was already light on the first day. So we're down here on the fourth day. 4,000 years in. Because one day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. Again. Hitting the glossary of the Bible. What's a day to God? There's no mankind down here yet. Genesis chapter 1. What's a day with God? While well, he tries to give us what time is like for us to have like some kind of some kind of time frame that we can comprehend because we are so restricted and reduced here in this flesh body. Like time as soon as we pass on into the spirit world, as soon as we get out of these flesh bodies, time doesn't mean anything. Think about infinity back and infinity forward. We are just bound by the principles of time right now in these flesh bodies. So here we have, one day at the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And Psalms chapter 90 and Second Peter chapter 3. There's your glossary for here. So when people say, oh, this is four days and it's only 6,000 years ago, well, think again, okay? 
Like the glossary of the Bible will open that up for you. Don't forget what the glossary is. The glossary is also the key of David. It's the threads that run through the Bible that make up the structural fabric of the key of David. Those threads that run through the Bible are God's trademark stamp of validity that make the Bible make sense to you. And when people just use the Bible as a book of quotes, it's impossible to understand. And when that comes from the pulpit, the whole congregation is left out of the light. And here we have two great lights, two unique light givers, as one is Satan, he's the lesser, and one is of the light of the day, our Lord Jesus Christ. And people will say, well, well, we think that's the sun and the moon. I didn't, I didn't realize that you didn't read past the first uh, chapter of Genesis. It's not a book about astrology. This is a book about two unique light givers. Who are you going to follow? In this verse 14 to 16 of the book of Genesis chapter 1, this sets the stage for this earth age. We are the stars. Well, well that sounds like astrology again. Well, did you get up to Job chapter 38 yet? Maybe you should. And you can see it's figure of speech personification because stars don't sing. We are all the stars. We are all these little unique lights that God has given a little life force to. That's us. We are the hosts of heaven. We are the angels. God owns your soul. That you, little unique light that he has put, the life force he has put in us, in you. We never die. But some of us are lining ourselves up for hellfire. And it says in the Bible that Jesus Christ is our rock. And we were hewn from him. But we all fell. In the book of Revelation, it says one third of us fell. That's us. We are the one third that fell. All of us, me, you, and everybody in our human family that's passing through the flesh are part of that one third. Because if we didn't fall... That would mean we were perfect. That that mean we're still in good standing with God. That would mean, well, only one was perfect that walk in the flesh. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to reconcile with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to acknowledge our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that we fell, that it is our problem. God has nothing to prove to us. We have everything to prove to God. You cannot violate the principles of God without consequence. And that is why... We are going through this flesh age. That is why God said, I repented that I had to put all these children through the flesh. When God says he repented, that means he sighs with disappointment. Like, I can't believe you people gave power to this entity, Satan. We give power to him when we sin. Every time we go against the Lord, we nail our Lord Jesus Christ's hands into that cross again. We are the ones that gave power to Satan. Only our Lord Jesus Christ, who came down here, looked at us. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to suffer for us. God didn't have to give, him, give us His only begotten Son, His righteous right arm, the mediator to Father, our comforter, our Sabbath, our Passover, our rock. And we were hewn from Him. We fell. Because if we didn't fall, we'd still be up there in the spirit world with the other two two-thirds of the people, of, the, of our human family, who are watching us, our angels. They're watching everything we do. They know what we think. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father, knows our thoughts, intents, and our actions. And I can just see, just size. What we've done, just size with, with, with 
upsetness and disappointment at the unprecedented mess mankind has made with this planet and the oppression of the people by not following the only governmental system that is ever going to be successful based on a love and compassion beyond our present comprehension and we have to reconcile in that. We can't carry any of the things that we were carrying before that caused us to fall. It's me and you that fell. All of us in this human family and we have to look at what we're responsible for in destroying this planet and destroying each other. There's never been in the history of mankind. This is unprecedented. The amount of human suffering going on. And people will say, oh, we're such a modern bunch of people. Now we know better. Never. Unprecedented. The human suffering. But that's what our Lord Jesus Christ told us. Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Revelation chapter 6. Do not be deceived. And that's what the first 14 verses of this Second Samuel are all about. Do not be deceived. Getting into verse 16. Yes, there is giants. Satan did pass through the matrix. He, he got around it. He sent a bunch of his angels down. These Geber, these men of renown, as they're called, in the book of Jude. He's warning us. These men of renown. Like, it's, like they have offspring. They have posterity. And they're against the truth. And they don't care. They're already judged. As it's written. Now just keep that in mind. Now here's, we're going to just get back to Second uh, Samuel chapter 16, uh, chapter uh, 21, and verse 18. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, and the Shibia, then Shibai the Hushite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. Again, more Raphium. And there's God helping, helping out, making sure that these Raphium, they have to get... God has to intervene. They're just too strong. And God intervened with David when he slung shot that uh, uh, Goliath right in the forehead with the, with, the, with the rock when Goliath was standing there. And here in 19, we have the brother of Goliath. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elihan, the son of Jerogurum, a Bethamite slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, a staff whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There's more Raphium. And again, verse 20, And there was yet a battle again in Gath, where a man of great stature, that had on every hand six fingers, and on every foot six toes, twenty-four in number, and he was also born to the giant. And when he defiled Israel, Jonathan the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath, but fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. God's blessings makes us giant killers. And isn't that just the greatest thing? Second uh, Samuel chapter 22 is one of the greatest prayers. It's like this prayer poetry, what David wrote here in chapter 22, which we're not going to do today, but... It's about putting your trust in God. And this this just ties in with the threads that run through the Bible. And you can read this. Genesis chapter 1. Psalms 104. Proverbs chapter 8. And it, it just weaves its way through the Bible. Written here. 
The Lord God is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. He is your Savior, your salvation, your deliverer, your redeemer, and the kinsman redeemer of our whole human family. Well, I want to thank you very much for listening. I want you to have the greatest day, and bye for now.